Awesome. Good evening, church. Okay. Um, get ourselves sorted. <laughs> um, welcome to church. It's good to see so many people came out for the barbecue. <laughs> I hope you also came to uh, <laughs> hear what God's got to say as well. <laughs> um, today I'm going to be um, speaking on prayer. Um, and I'm hoping to refocus and recharge and reactivate your prayer life. So there's no better way to start by in prayer. <laughs> so, Jesus, we just thank you that you are such a good God. You love us so much. Um, you help us to pray because you are our great intercessor. You pray for us and you lead us in prayer. And I ask that as I stand up here and I speak today, you will inspire me so I can inspire your people, your church, your children that you love so much to have a more intimate prayer life with you. Amen. Amen. So, um, I've got a little present for everybody this morning. <laughs> and I don't think I am fully prepared for the masses of people. <laughs> I underestimated the power of food. <laughs> so um, Carol's going to pass out some things, um, adults first, and then we'll go. <laughs> Youth and children. Um, and I've, um, I've been speaking long enough to know that whenever you give something to people, they spend the first 30 seconds playing with it. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds. <laughs> to play with it once you get it, kind of figure it out, and then I'll start. So those of you who have it are probably wondering, what does this have to do with prayer? <laughs> so if I got a couple of people on stage and I asked them, what is prayer about? Most of us would say it's communicating with God. Am I right? Yeah? Um, and that's true, but I believe that if we look at it like that definition alone, then we're diminishing a very, very important part of what prayer is. Um, and we're losing a very important element of prayer and the weight of prayer, the importance of it, and why we need to pray and our responsibility to pray. And that's what I'm going to try and address today. So I can see some of you like, ooh, that's deep. <laughs> so I'll give you a couple more seconds. I hope I've got enough. Nearly there. <laughs> Put it somewhere where you can um, kind of see out the corner of your eye. Um, so maybe on your lap, on the chair next to you, on your Bible, whichever's most comfortable. So I want you to kind of pick that, picture that in your mind and have it in your mind while I'm, while I'm speaking today. So, has anybody figured it out, by the way? Has anyone been able to get it in the middle so far? Hands up, no, no shame. Yay! <laughs> right. There we go. We've got some newcomers like, ooh, that's scary. Okay. 
<laughs> right, so not everybody's had their chance to play with the toy. <laughs> you can focus on what I'm saying now. Right, so I'm going to start by um, talking about the sovereignty of God. And this is a quite an intense doctrine or, or thing for us to get a he our head around. Um, and the sovereignty of God just means that God is in charge and he can do what he likes. Simple. And I'm talking about prayer, but the concept of the sovereignty of God is the foundation of what our prayer life has to be built upon. If not, we run the risk of being wrongfully offended by God because we've not understood that God is in charge. Now, a lot of us see God as like Aladdin and the genie. And when times are hard, you pour on the bottle, rub it with your prayer, and then this magic genie comes out and answers, but we could not be further from the truth. That is not what prayer is about. And because of having that opinion, when we're rubbing on this bottle and we're like, God, please, God, please, God, please, and nothing's happening, we get offended by God. And God's like, mm, I really wasn't going to do that in the first place. So prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is not twisting God's arm. And I have spoken on this when he talks about fasting. Like, we don't fast or we don't pray because we want or expect God to move for us. And if, you start, if you're starting your prayer from that point, then you've already started praying wrongfully. So, God is sovereign. That means that he does what he likes. He does what pleases him. He's in charge. Nothing happens except God allows it to happen. Nothing happens except God allows it to happen. For his glory. For his glory. He has already planned out everything. And the fact that you're sat in the exact seat you're sat today, in whatever position you've got yourself in today. So Barry's got his hand like that. God knew he was going to do that. God is sovereign. He, he knows everything. And we struggle with this concept because we've grown up in a society that we've been told that we can be whoever we want to be and we can do whatever we want to do and our destiny is in our own hands and we can, if we put our minds to it, we can be whatever we want. It's just true to a certain degree. It's only true if you're following the plans and the destiny that God has for your life. But we're not taught that. We're taught that in our own strength, in our own might, if we just focus, if we just work hard enough, if we just work and, and slave and slave and slave, anything will happen. But that's not the actual truth. And then we take that into our prayer life and we're praying 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 and then wondering why God isn't answering our prayers. But it's because we're trying to move God to where we want to be instead of us moving to where he wants to be. Because he has already planned everything. 
Is this point making sense? The other thing that's difficult with understanding the sovereignty of God is we always try to view God's sovereignty and God's goodness how we would expect it to be. So how many of us have ever asked this question, if God is so good, then why would X happen? If God is so good, and why would all of this be going? There's wars in the world, there's people dying, there's children being abused, abused. If God is so good, then he would stop all of that. But we're trying to bring God's goodness into something that we can understand with our natural mind. And guess what? We can't. We're judging God by our standards of goodness. And we're judging his sovereignty by what we think he should do. So we're missing it. And I believe that is one of the number one offense reasons for our offense in the church. Because we expect God to move for us. But we're not willing to move to where God would have us be. And like I said, when you're praying from that position of, no, God, you should do this for me then you're going to be offended. And some of us have even become Christians because we think as long as I come to God and I come to church and I read my Bible and I pray every day, my life should be better. Whereas my Bible tells me that there's something called the fellowship of suffering, which means that as I go through life and I go through difficult times, I share in the suffering of Jesus, and he renews me, and he makes me better, and he changes my heart, and he changes my mind, and I then begin to reflect Jesus. So if you come to church thinking that God is just this quick fix, three steps to a better life, seven steps, however many steps you think there's going to be, it might not actually be, because God is in charge, and he knows what you like. The Bible promises us difficult times. But there's also the promise that he will never leave or forsake us in those difficult times. So we almost have to be braced and prepared for those difficult times. Because God has promised us that difficult times will come. But we know that we have his promise that he's with us through the fire and will not be consumed. Amen? There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 55, um, and I'd love everybody to just make a couple notes. I'm going to be reading a lot of verses today. Um, And when you're going through some hard times, it's good to sometimes, you know, when you remember something can be said and you can't remember exactly. If you've written down some of these verses, I believe that going back to them can help. So we've got Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9. And it says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine, for just as high, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What does that mean? God can do what he likes. One of my favorite quotes, um, it's by a guy called Matthew Henry, and he says, we have what pleases God. And that should please us also. Where you are at this moment of your life, God knew you would be there. And he's allowed you to be there. 
And even if it's in what you think is the most darkest, hardest place you've ever been, he knows you were there. He knew you were going to be there. And the Bible even says that he created a way of escape for you to get out of that place. Because he knew, because he's sovereign, because he's already planned everything out, he knows. Now, when our foundation of our prayer life is built on that, it changes our position to pray. We can start to pray with confidence, not from apprehension, but with confidence, because we know that we're going to the person who knows everything, who has planned everything, who has written everything, the sovereign God, so we come before him confidently because we know he's planned it out. We go to God now in victory, not from a place of defeat, not from a place where we're begging him or we're trying to twist his heart, arm or trying to bribe him and say, God, if you do this for me, I'll give you X amount of money. God, if you do this for me, I'll do this in the church. It's not wrong to make promises to God, but are you making promises because you're trying to twist his arm to work for you? We don't have to do anything because it's already done. So prayer, yes, it's communication with God, but it's about aligning ourselves to the will of God, the will that he has already laid out for us that we should walk in. The Bible says, before we were born, he knew us. You, he knew you. He knew the plan he had for your life. And when you're praying, you're saying, God, I don't know where I'm going. So bring me back to where you would have me be. There's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 16 to 17. And I love this verse so much. Um, and it says, see, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fanned the coals into flame, and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Look at that confidence. What God is saying in this verse is, I made the blacksmith, who makes the weapons that you're afraid of. So, no weapon that is fashioned against you will prosper. I thought more people would get excited at that point there. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> God is saying, that thing that you're afraid of, I created it. So no weapon that is fashioned against you can prosper because I made it. That is the sovereignty of God. And that is our position that we must stand in when we're coming to God in prayer. We're saying, God, my child is sick, but you created my child. You asked him to come into this world. We know that children are a blessing of the Lord. We know that it is God who gives the fruit of the womb. So therefore, God, you heal my child. 
We are coming from a place of God's already done this. God created everything. God is sovereign. We can't twist his hand. We, he knows what he's going to do. We don't. So we come in confidence saying, God, you sort it out. My little boy, 10-month-old Gideon, he looks to me and my husband for everything because he can't do anything on his own. And in his mind, when he looks at us and he wants something, I know he has full confidence that we can do that thing for him. And that's the position we need to have when we're going to God in prayer. Understanding that God may not answer our prayer in the way that we think he will answer our prayer. God may not answer your prayer in the way that you expect him to answer it. There's a passage in Daniel, and this is Daniel 3, verse 16 to 20. Oh, it's warm up here. <laughs> um, and it says, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, so this, the story behind this is um, Daniel in the lion's den. Sorry, the fiery furnace. Sorry. <laughs> the fiery furnace. Then there was a king who passed a decree that anybody who wouldn't bow down to this golden image would be thrown into the fire. And there were three Hebrew boys who trusted in God and believed in God. And they didn't believe in the king, that the king was God. So the king ordered them to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But he asked that the furnace would be heated up. 10 times hotter than normal. So much so that the people who, the Bible says the people who were throwing them into the fire, it was so hot that they even died. Now listen to their response. And this is Daniel 3:16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. This is the verse, verse 18. But even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. How many of us can stand here and say, God, I want you to do this. But even if you don't, you're still good. You're still God. Because until we can get to the place where that is how we pray, guess what? We're going to be running around offended by God. And God's going to be like, I didn't even do anything. <laughs> they were so sure of their God. That God had a plan, God had everything worked out, that they looked at the king and said, even if God doesn't, I'm going to be okay. Where you are at this moment in your life, God has allowed you to be there. And that should give you comfort, peace, confidence, and rest. Because he's allowed you to be there. And he's created a way of escape. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And this says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. 
and he will not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. How good is God? He allows things to happen. He allows everything to happen. But even in the difficult times, even when we mess up ourselves, he still creates a little back passage that we can escape. So prayer is about aligning ourselves with the will of God that he has already set out for us. Now, I want you all to pick up your little toy that I gave you, if you've got one. (laughs) And our lives are like this puzzle. We're, We're the ball. Now, the maker of this puzzle knew the route to get the little ball inside the middle to the center, and that's what the game is about. And we don't know where the center is. The person who designed the game knows where the center is. There's one way to get to the center. There's loads of dead ends. But when we pray, that's like us going to God and saying, okay, God, I've got this thing in my hand. I'm trying to get to the center. Oh, I've hit a dead end. What do you do? You pray. And God says, turn it left. So you tilt it left, and the ball goes around again, and you get a little bit stuck, and you've gone off track, and you, you pray again, and you say, God, I don't know where I'm going. And then it says, tilt it right. And then you tilt it right, and the ball goes the other way. Prayer is about you, that little ball inside, asking God what direction to tilt your life so you can get to the center where he designed you to be. Now, all of us, if we sat here, it would take us a bit of time to figure it out, go back and forth. But if the designer of the, thing, if designer of the game was here, he would say, oh, just do it like that. Wouldn't he? Because he knows. He knows how he designed it. And that's what our prayer life is like. We're coming to God and said, God, you designed my life. You are sovereign. You know the end before the beginning. You knew I would be here right now. I'm stuck. I've hit a dead end. Tell me which way to tilt so that you can bring me back on course. Now, isn't there peace in that? Isn't there strength in that? Now, I'm not saying there won't be difficult times, but when you start from the fact that prayer is about bringing you back to the place that you should be, when we pray, it will have a calming and and comforting effect. Because we're coming back to where we should be. And in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. There is joy everlasting. There is peace. In the presence of the Lord, there is peace. There is hope. There is strength. So when we're on the right path, when, we're on, when we as that ball are where we need to be, there's peace even in the storm. But when we're tilting all over the place and we're rocking around and we don't know where we're going, guess what? That's havoc. And this is what prayer is about. Now, the other thing of prayer I want to talk about is the time between praying and the answer to your prayer. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says, it's Proverbs 13, verse 12, and it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, how many of us have ever prayed for something for a long time and we waited and we waited and we waited, 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 
And we waited. And we waited. And you're at that stage where your heart, you've got no more hope left. And I want to tell you today that that time of waiting is important. And it seems like the longest time in your life, the hardest time in your life, the most frustrating point in your life where you're just like, God, why are you hearing me? God, do you hear me? God, what's going on? God, I've prayed. I'm in church. I'm on the doors. I'm at work. I'm trying to count it all joy. I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to listen to the scriptures. I'm playing the music so my mind doesn't get sidetracked. And what's happening? I'm still here. The answer's still not coming, but that is important. And I'm just going to share a few things from the Bible to help you understand why that's important. So, the children of Israel, who's heard about um, the Exodus in the Bible when God brought the Hebrew children out from under Pharaoh's hand? And they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And I'm talking about brutal enslaving. And I'm sure every day they were praying and they were crying and they were going home saying, God, deliver us. God, deliver us. Why are we still here? If we are your chosen people, if we are the people you love so much, if we are your sons and daughters, why are we being so brutally harassed? 400 years. They cried and they prayed for deliverance. Now God is sovereign and he has a plan. And when studying the Bible, you realize that if God had delivered them sooner than those 400 years, then some of the prophecies that he had spoken, some of the things that he was going to say would happen years and years and years and years and years before that 400 years ever happened would not have happened. Now, God can't go back on his word. But what was beautiful about that time of suffering that they had was even though they were enslaved, brutally beaten, back breaking work every day, the Bible actually says that in that time, they multiplied and they grew. And as a people, they became stronger and stronger and stronger, even though they were being afflicted so hard. So even, even though God was saying, I'm not delivering you now, wait a second, please wait. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. In that time, you would expect that people who are being enslaved would be downcast, they wouldn't be having children. As a, as a society, their minds would be weak and depressed. But the Bible says they were strong and they grew stronger and they grew stronger every day. So much so that the pharaohs had to keep saying, beat them more, whip them more. Because they keep growing and they shouldn't be, but they keep growing. So make their work 10 times harder because they keep growing. So even in that time that you're waiting and you think God's not doing anything, trust me, he is. And we only see the struggle from our perspective, which is sometimes what makes it more difficult. We can focus on the fact that God didn't deliver them straight away. Or we can look now and look back and see God had a plan and he had to wait for everything to be aligned at the right time. Moses hadn't been born. The right Pharaoh hadn't come into power to fulfill all the prophecies so that God's plan could come to pass. And in that waiting, it's hard, but God has a plan. 
And this is where God's sovereignty comes back into the myth because when we're praying and we're waiting for the answer, we have to keep that in mind that God hears our prayer and he has a plan. And the Bible talks about an appointed time at the right time, not our right time, he'll answer. But in the myth, he will give us what we need to get through. Even look at when God took them out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then you can say, but God, if, if you delivered them and, and you answered their prayer, why did it take so long to get to their promised land? And I heard one preacher put it like this. God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt in one day, but it took 40 years to take Egypt out of the children of Israel. And what that means is when we're waiting, God is doing a process in our lives. He's preparing us for our promised land while we're waiting. But we're focused on the frustrations. We're focused on the why not yes? Why not yes? Is it going to be now? Okay, it's going to be now. Right, I can feel it. It's going to be tomorrow. Wait, 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 wait. No, I know, I know this time. I got it. It's going to be now. Instead of focusing on, okay, God, in this time that I'm waiting, what do you need to accomplish in my life to get me ready for my promised land? Abraham waited 25 years for the promised child. Abraham was a man in the Bible who, they were very, very, very old. I think the wife was about 80-something, and he was older. And God promised them that they were going to have a child. And they're already in their late 80s at this time. And it took 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. And in that 25 years, Abraham had battles. He had victories. He had visitation from angels. His faith was stretched and solidified and tested. And God was testing him. And God was teaching him obedience in everything with no questions. And when that promised child came, what happened? God said to him, give me your son who you love. But because Abraham had gone through his waiting period and learned that God is sovereign, God is true, God's promises are sure, he had learned his obedience, what did Abraham do? He went to give God his son and God spared his son's life. The waiting, that 25 years, was about God putting into Abraham what he needed to, to accomplish his purpose. Now, in contrast, we've got the children of Israel who were in the wilderness for 40 years. And in that time, they had miracles. They had victories. They had battles that were won. But then when God took them to their promised land, he said to them, right, here's your promised land. Here's the answer to your prayer. But what I need you to do is there's people in your land that I want you to drive out, that I want you to wipe out. Now, the children of Israel had 40 years to learn that God was good. God was with them. God always provides. God always gives them what they need, and they didn't. So when they got to the answer of their prayer, God said to them, wipe out the people in the land that I promised you. What did the children of Israel did? 
They missed one tribe. Now, what is the consequence of them missing that one tribe? Who's heard of a story of Esther in the Bible? Who was the man that tried to wipe out the Jews in her time? This is a bit of a Bible quiz here. Haman. Haman was a descendant of the tribe that the Israelites were supposed to wipe out, and they didn't because they didn't learn that God was with them, so they didn't need to fear. And if Haman hadn't succeeded, then the lineage that Jesus came from would have been wiped out. The other consequence of that is who's heard of the Israel-Palestinian conflict today that's going on, it's been going on for years. God said to the children of Israel, because you didn't learn what I wanted you to learn in that waiting time, in that, 40, in that 40 years, this tribe that you left that you should have wiped out are going to forever be a thorn in your flesh. And today, we're still struggling. Israel and Palestine are still struggling. And that's the thing. When we're waiting, if we allow the devil to get in our heads and we just get stuck in our frustration and we get stuck in the fact that I'm waiting, I'm waiting, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, then what God is preparing you for on the other side of your prayer, you will miss. But if we are like Abraham and we're like, no, God, you're sovereign, and you are sovereign even in the waiting, he's in the waiting. We sing that song all the time at church. He is in the waiting. If we realize that in my prayer you are sovereign, and in the time that I'm waiting, you're still sovereign, then when we're waiting, what we're saying is, God, in this time, what are you teaching me? What would you have me learn so that when he answers our prayer, we can go and we can be like Abraham? The waiting is about God preparing you for what's next. It's about God preparing you for your promised land. It is not the time to despair. It is not the time to give up hope. It's time to wait for the instruction of the Lord, to wait, to see what God is saying, to see if God is saying, tilt left, tilt right, go forward a little bit. Okay, no, wait, wait, be steady at this point. The ball's just going to roll in its right position. Now tilt left, hard left, back, 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 back. But if we're so consumed with why not yet, why not yet, why not yet, why not yet, we miss that. We have a sovereign God who loves us and has already prepared everything from us. And that is the place that our prayers should come from. We're not rubbing a genie and hoping, and hoping, well, maybe it might come up. We're not twisting his arm. We're coming to him because he knows everything, and we don't know anything. And we're saying, God, bring me to where you need to be. So my challenge for you today is take your eyes off the waiting and focus on the goodness of God. Take your eyes away from the waiting and focus on the sovereignty of God. The fact that God already has everything planned out. The fact that we're coming to him in victory, knowing that even if he doesn't, because he might not, because that might not be his way of answering our prayer. 
I had somebody very close to me and um, her mother passed away from cancer while we were all in the room with her at home. And there's a song that we used to sing, blessed be the name of the Lord, you give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And as soon as her mother passed, I was sat in a chair and she was holding her mom's hand. She broke out in song and said, God, you give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. And we had prayed and we had prayed that, and prayed that God would have healed her. And God's answer to our prayer was saying, do you know what? She suffered enough. I'm bringing her home. And sometimes the prayer comes, the answer to the prayer comes like that. And we have to be saying, God, even if you won't do it the way I expect, that's fine. Because you're still God. Can we say that today? Can we change our prayer life today? And rest and stand on the foundation that says, God, you are the solid rock. God, you know everything. The Bible says that every hair that's on our head, he's counted. And even if one falls to the ground, like I just had a baby, and post-pregnancy hair shedding is real. <laughs> so I'm losing a lot of my hair at the minute. But God knows every single strand of my hair that's fallen to the ground over this past 10 months. Every single one, he's numbered. So I can pray in confidence, knowing that it's all good. And I can rest and say, I like to think I know how this will go, God, but your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher. So I'm going to let you be God, and I'm going to sit here while you guide me. Let's change the focus of our prayer. Let's change the foundation and what it's built upon. We're not praying because we don't have a God that hears us. We're praying because we have a God who's planned everything out. Amen.